Gardner defines the Chief Technology Officer as having overall responsibility for managing the physical and personnel technology infrastructure, including technology deployment, network and system management, integration testing, and developing technical operations personnel. CTOs also manage client relations to ensure that service objective expectations are developed and managed in the operations area. Samantha Sayer, a senior principal analyst at Gartner, says a CTO has four personas, a digital business leader, a business enabler, an IT innovator, and a chief operating officer of IT. Regardless of their persona, she adds, the most important takeaway is that the CTOs and their organizations agreed on what the role means in its unique context. Through this shared understanding, the CTO can work closely with business leaders to drive digital transformation efforts and meet business goals. In this podcast for Future CIO, we are pleased to have with us Biswa Prakash Misra, Group Chief Technology Officer at AIA. You are both a strategist and an operations leader. What does it take to get to the position that you are in today? I'll just put it this way. I mean, you should be inquisitive. First, it should be a hunger to do something which is real. I mean, if you believe in it. I am an engineer myself, so I had opportunities to join technology companies, but I chose insurance. There's my belief system that insurance is there for the greater good of the society at large. Mm -hmm. And then as I learned more, I realized health and wellness. What do we want to do when you can basically take a little bit of the pain away from people who really need you at that time, a moment of truth. You feel there is something more than doing your job. First thing I say to somebody is inquisitive and purpose but a lot of people are inquisitive a lot of people have purpose you have to surround that with aptitude you are inquisitive and you have a purpose but you don't know you're not a technologist so clearly leadership in its raw format i mean and there are exceptions i'm not saying there's only one look for people who know what they're talking about because you can be an administrator but if you don't know the basics of administration how is the public health care system and all you will struggle it'll take some time to get used to it. so third one is the aptitude right fourth one are you imagine is not imagine I would say for myself at least is you got to assemble a set of people who have similar beliefs which is very important in a team and why I say beliefs is there are lots of smart people around much smarter than us and they're trying to do stuff which they believe is their calling in life we have an objective we want to help people live healthier longer better lives surround a team which actually believes in that idea right and once they believe in it what they're doing is they are trying to bring their own personal calling into the job so when you have that, then everything comes around like, oh, they become inquisitive. How can I do it better today? If I did this, what becomes my purpose? Next purpose. What do I aptitude? What do I need to learn more now? Because I, I did this, right? Or why am I doing all this? Oh, why? Because I have this larger intent that I have in mind. So I'd say these four things would be critical. Well, let's talk about the insurance industry. You've been in the market for how long now? More than 20 years. Okay. How has the industry changed? I think it's been in a way, I mean, industry's relevance during the pandemic has been really a thing that has surprised me because I think as the, the pandemic, as all of us have experienced, has raged on. In several markets, some of us have been lucky to be in, in markets wherein they're reasonably natural healthcare systems to, to be able to address things. Some of the markets, you have seen what has happened. I mean, the governments have not been able to cope up. The public healthcare system has crashed. The private sector tried to help in could not do it in the retail consumer's mind the inert need for being protected for being covered for that doomsday has just gone through 
a step change. So everyone, this has just brought to fore that, I mean, why would you need something like an insurance? The industry is in an envious position, actually. There is pent up demand. There's also a correlation to economic recoveries that we would see in the markets. I think everybody is thinking, I mean, if this is what can happen in it's two years and, and if this is what happens, I mean, I don't have oxygen in certain cases. I don't have the medicine. I mean, I mean, the hospitals in some cases are struggling, not because they don't want to give, but they're struggling. I mean, with the, with the scope and uh, magnitude of this, right? Who can I trust? Who can I look up to? And that's where I think uh, insurance has changed once forever. I mean, digital was always there. I mean, technology was always there. But I think this has um, accelerated the pace of digital transmission that the industry would have seen because now they're slowly getting into a position wherein they're playing into a pent-up consumer demand wherein there's people are saying looking up to the protection, looking up to health as a subject. Also, another thing that has happened is uh, you'd recognize that all of us as consumers have seen waves of technology. Some have been more pervasive and persistent than others. What has happened since 2017 is that we have started to see the digital players, I mean the e-commerce players, the travel aggregators, the transportation companies, all of them entering our lives. They have entered into our mind space. I start the morning and I look at, oh, what's going on on this and that, right? It's very natural. Right? So the consumers have got used to a type of interaction which they were not used to. You think of 2012, 2013, mobile penetration was not that high then there came the wave in which everybody had a mobile the types of mobile changed and the services that were being provided in that mobile changed the data plans became cheaper then everything was on mobile i mean from a bank to a car to everything is on it right insurance is no different right so when that consumer is today now looking at an insurance company he may not say that but he's saying is this guy is in the same generation or are they like in the history books and they've come out like a dinosaur from somewhere right <laughs> so those are the two aspects one there is a great opportunity that this pandemic has given to the consumers to, to take a look at health and life insurance in its full glory, right? I mean, there is a demand really. And then the same consumer is thinking, I have this demand, but where are these companies? They seem to be in like, like a book from Rudyard Kipling or someone like that. I mean, can they come to my phone? That's the next question, right? So consumer activism would be the second one that I'd put it. Describe for me what transformation is for you in your role and then how does that translate to AIA? Personally, what does transformation mean? It's a very profound question to any human being. What do we mean by transformation? I mean, doing lots of projects, lots of talk. Transformation is in, a, uh, for me, I grew up in a small town in India and it is a protected place. So outside of that place, when I would venture out, I'd see people not being able to eat two square meals a day, not have enough medicine. At one point in time, things started to change because I, in those days, people would tell us that don't go and play with those kids, etc., etc. I could not understand as a kid, why are my parents or, or people around us telling that no don't go and, and talk to this guy then one fine day it changed everything changed and as I grew a little bit older, I went back to see what is going on. And there was somebody who had come in there, like a non-governmental organization, who taught those people the meaning of sanitation, healthcare, and the importance of education. And what happened after that defined for me in my life what is transformation. So, so people were back to schools. They were trying to be healthy in their own ways, etc., etc. So I just thought in a simplistic way, mentally for me, transformation is taking a piece of work and trying to make it better. Not because you want to make it better or you 
want something out of it because that is what it deserves. So what does the transformation in my role mean, right? Or how does it impact AI, right? I think uh, my role is perhaps uh, insignificant compared to the transformation story of technology or AI. What we are trying to do from a transformation perspective clearly is in the past, as you gave the example, 20 years back insurance, right? What they do is a lot of pen and paper and people will give forms, etc., etc., right? To handle that in a simplistic layman's word, you would need one big machine like a Xerox machine or something like that, right? Now, as the industry has become more, has expanded, it is now, no one would have expected 20 years ago, there'll be vitality like an insurance company is paying you to live healthy, internet of things and etc, etc. That big machine has now got to be broken up and divided into small, small parts. Something is here, something is there, something is there. And you got to assemble the best that is out there in that particular area, somebody for customer service. So you get the best in class and assemble it. So in a sense, the story of transformation from my function technology has been to move from that host based, I mean, a single monolithic piece into more a distributed computing model. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to break up a big piece of work, which is taking in something and giving out something, one big assembly line into more of a grid, wherein the most powerful and important machines may not be one, but it could be different and they're working together with each other. That's the transformation we are going through architecturally, more structurally. What does that mean for AIA? Actually, that transformation is the bedrock for the organization's overall transformation. Why? Because you look at, for example, digital, right? People don't want to come to the office to submit that claim, right? Who wants to go to an insurance company to submit the claims when all you need to do at that time is stay with your loved one, right? Mm. So you provide that service on the digital platform that is there. An agent who is going to meet a customer, for example, should he spend a lot of time in writing down what you're saying? Or should he basically look in your eyes and say that, hey, Alan, I'm there for you and this is the right thing for you to do? Definitely the later. So how does he capture all your information? So what if there was a, on that particular grid, remember my grid, there was a software which was listening in to what Alan is saying with Alan's permission and converted that into an application form. Oh, Alan, do you can you see? Is this okay? Yeah. Well, we finished the conversation. That form is there. Okay. Uh, it so sounds good. Alan, could you sign it off? Could do a, a wet signature or it's like, why don't you speak into it? Or can I just do a facial recognition? Done. Okay. Let's enjoy the coffee. So, but you can't do it in one machine, right? You can see, you can imagine now what I'm saying. So, so what you're trying to do for the agency or for the people who are selling is making their life easy, simple, so that they can actually focus on the most important part of that interaction, which is really making sure that Alan knows that heavens may fall, but I'll be there for him. That's what he's actually looking for because it's not a banking relationship. It's a long-term relationship, 20, 30 year relationship, right? So Alan wants to know that this guy is genuine and he'll be there with me and let the tasks which are more administrative in nature be taken care by a machine, by technology. And that's how I will internalize this thing into my ecosystem. The consumer, when he comes in for other cases, right? You think of it this way. When you have a claim, we pay for it. What if I paid you to live healthy? That's AI vitality, right? So Alan goes to a gym. He is running. So I know that he's trying to live healthy. Probably the statistics are indicating to me that mortality for him is much better than what it is for a guy who doesn't go to the gym. Alan goes to a cold storage or park and shop and buys some healthy food. I know that he's eating healthy compared to some, something else. He's going to a movie hall. So that means he's mentally relaxed. He's trying to get a little bit of a balance that's there. So I should reward him in some ways. That's vitality for you. But how could you do it? Because I know Alan is not living in my premises. He is my consumer. So internet of things. So I mean, if Alan gives me access to particular things, that are there or he updates this information I'll get but it becomes another touch point from a customer experience perspective. So the story of transmission as you saw from is taking something and making it better but to make it better you need a foundation. You build that foundation using the distributed computing model and then you bring in the experience bit to your consumers, to your distributors, to your employees. I mean we use different me mechanisms to empower them and then it's beautiful. That's the digital transformation of AI to make sure it's simpler, faster, more connected, always on. At the end of the day 
what you're trying to do there is really make sure that the consumer and the distributor knows that you are there for them. That's it. Okay. All of these transformations or changes that you're introducing to the way products or services are delivered, what's the metric that AIA as a company will use to measure this to say okay, we're in the right direction? Yes. We're, we're getting the value that we put into this thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. For that, I need to take you back to our evolution in this stage of transformation. There was a gentleman whose name is Lee Yunxiang, who happens to be now our group CEO. He came in 2020 from Pingan and joined us. And his way of looking at the insurance industry was technology is at the center of this evolution of change that is there. And why I say that? Because the voice from the top is important. One of the other things we also agreed with him was always to focus on quantitative stuff in addition to qualitative. Because as you said, the shareholders, the people who look at our story, they like a good story, but they want to also see that this is backed by data and the story is not like just qualitative in nature, right? So we have a set of matrix, which is quite exhaustive using which we try. Actually, if you look up our TDA strategy, which is technology, digital and analytics strategy on our website, we declare those matrix. So I'll give you some example. Cloud, we want to get to 90%. Today, as I said, we are on 75%. How is that tracked? Uh, that's tracked using a steering committee, which meets every two months with Yun Seung and the, uh, all the executives there to see what is the program. There's enough checks and balances. Every country has their own steering committee. It's headed by their CEO. They're checking every month. Is it there? Is it not there? What, what goes on, right? Then there is a KPI around end of life, as I said. A, same steering committee. It comes back every two months. There's a KPI on modern applications, right? So that means, I mean, we're trying to make sure it is uh, state of that. STP. What does STP mean? STP means automation, right? So I put a transaction. Out of every 10 transactions, I think nine should be done automatically. No human intervention. Today, we are at somewhere between five and six. Let's say 58, 57 percent it needs to get to 90 so through the currency of the program you check it every month oh why is it 55 today uh, okay so next month would you get to 58 so what's your plan to get to 90 so it's a very rigorous check so what we're trying new business transactions on policy owner side and claims all of this need to be automated this is a three-year plan and every two months it check gets checked at the highest level in the company every month at the highest level within the companies that we operate in in the markets then you come to ai we believe 20 percent of our processes should be ai enabled artificially intelligent how do we track it like we have a process and a method using which we track it. We say 100% of our recruits should be digital recruits. How do we track it? Because we publish every month how many recruits we have, how many of them we recruited digitally. We think 100% of our sales should be done digitally, like IPOS, etc. We publish that numbers every week. We believe data analytics should power everything. So last year we did 100 use cases, uh, but use cases are use cases. Somebody could say, I, I will do 200 use cases. So what? So what's the value that you generate out of it? We track that through finance every quarter, how much value came out of that. So there is a rigorous mechanism of tracking the benefits that come out, statistical movements of those KPIs because they're all market declared. And that's why we are very, shall we say, very transparent and, and easy. If you have numbers and the numbers speak for themselves, you're good. If they don't speak for themselves, there is more work to do. <laughs> Some argue that technology, while it is important as an enabler, should be second to people and processes. In your view, what are essential conditions by which people, process, and technology come together to achieve AIA's aspirations as a business? I think the first part that you mentioned, I believe actually technology is secondary to people and process, which is strange, right? As a CTO, I should, you'd expect that this guy says no. No, because I think people underestimate the impact of human interactions. i give you an example. Again, some of it you may know already. There's a book called Machine, Platform and Crowd. 
he says, uh, he tries to take a very good example. And the reason I give this example is to just illustrate the point. He says, in a woman's football team, can you have a robot coach them? The answer is no. And he says, he tries to dig deeper. Why? Because he can't bring that emotional quotient, that ability to inspire, that annotation of the last mile, wherein the human way of bringing other humans together is not there with the machines at this point in time in their evolution cycle. So there are some jobs the machines can do. They can underwrite a claim or they can underwrite an insurance policy, but they cannot basically get the women's football team to gel together to be the best team that is out there. You or a men's team, you need a Pep Guardiola to be a Manchester City. It can't be done by a robot. You go back and, and try to decipher that. So what do you do in, in our business, right? So agents, right? I gave you the example of sitting across the table and talking to you. Can a machine do it? Yeah, it can do it. Would you trust a machine with a 30-year policy? Maybe you will eventually. Maybe your children or grandchildren may do. But at this point in time, what you're trying to do is you are trying to look for somebody that you trust. So this person's role in that sales process, in that interaction process, becomes as important, if not more, than the machine. It claims is another great example. You could adjudicate a claim. Let's say Vishwa is injured and he's got a major surgery to do. Yeah, yeah, I can pay Vishwa's wife and children the claims. Do the kids and wife at that point in time really need just the money? No. What do they need? They need basically the care. Who can give them the care? Another human being. Who is that human being? Somebody who is sincere in their in their thinking that, oh no, Vishwa mattered to me as a customer or whatever it is, right? What is the way to do it? I mean, it's to make sure that the children can go to school because maybe he was dropping them every day to the bus. Maybe I provide a concierge service, right? A machine can never do that. So Alan, trust me, but although I'm a technologist, I'm acutely aware of the role that human beings will continue to play on these beautiful technologies that we provide to people for a long, long time to come. So I'm going to go through now some technologies and I need your perspective on these technologies. Cloud computing, regardless of private, public or hybrid, what's your view on it as it impacts the industry itself? Public. I think what is happening with the cloud providers in the public domain right now is depending on the architecture that you build in for your company and you can have two layers of protection. One is the public cloud providers themselves have a very secure environment, right? Because they're handling hundreds and hundreds of records that are out there. So for example, Microsoft, which we use a lot, they've got data centers all across the globe. They've got beautiful uh, uh, backup of security teams, left, right and center, follow the sun model and everything else. For me to replicate that in-house as one company is technically possible, but it's very theoretical. I mean, it, practically, it's not very easy to create that kind of a model because it, it's that huge in terms of resources and all it takes. Second is I put my own layer of security on the space. Cloud is like a house. I mean, they have their own security, but I got a room in that. I put my own lock. That's my security because I put AIS security on the Microsoft Cloud. So that's why I think instead of public versus hybrid, it should be how can you better manage your data in the public cloud? One layer is the public cloud provider's own security. And then you should always layer that with your own security standards that you have so that it's as good as running it hybrid or running it private actually. What's your take on security per se, given that it is evolving and regulation is slowly catching up to this? How do you strike the balance between making sure that you're taking the best security solutions out there, technologies in the market, while at the same time making sure you're also complying with regulation that may not have caught up with the, what's possible with the perspective? So let me uh, answer that question in several different ways. First one is we are implementing zero trust right now in AI. We are at an advanced stage in our development of these security technologies. We follow a three-line model, first line, second line, third line, which is very typical in all the banks as well. First line is information security. This is the implementation team on security, which is looking at technologies and bringing that to 
four. The second line is the one which sets policies and standards. They are very closely aligned to the regulators. And then there's the third line, which is audit, which is always checking what has the, has the first line implemented, what the second line has said as policies. That framework allows us a maker checker. And that's not a, that will not be a surprise to anybody because the financial services industry has to operate like that. Somebody sets, and they're different teams. Like the second line for security doesn't sit with me. It sits with our chief risk officer, who is my peer on the XCO. So she sets those policies. I implement those policies through my CISO and somebody from audit who is independent will come and check it. So that's the first layer of the governance that you have to manage it. The second one is that even in the first line, the security teams that are there, they're arm's length to the digital transformation team. They're almost going at each other. So one's job is to make sure that the other is protected and not slowed down. So what they're trying to do is they are constantly innovating to see, you talked about identity management. So customer identity management is a big subject for us. So how do I build customer identity management into my digital customer solution so that my customer is protected? That's their KPI. What's the KPI of the digital guy here? Their KPI is how is the friction in terms of authentication seamless? So there's a, there's a meeting, but there's still an air gap. So that's how we are looking at it. And zero trust is, of course, another way to look at it. Plus, um, we work with a lot of technology companies in the security space because this is a fast evolving space. I mean, lots of things are happening all the time. So we have our own team, which is triaging information all the time, 24 by 7, 365 days a year. Some of that uh, is more what we deal with from people who are trying to take a look at us for not good reasons, etc, etc. But there is a constant one side keeps transforming, the other side keeps tabs of what they're transforming and they are not keeping tabs just because they want to, but they have a policy that they're following. What's your view on open source from your role as a CTO? Open source itself has to be understood. What does it really mean? Open source and open platforms are two different things. Open source is a kind of software that has no owner, basically. It is owned by the crowd. And then there's some vendors who will come in and maintain that as a first principle. For a company of our size to do certain open source technologies, we will do in areas wherein criticality of the maintenance of that open source software is not in the line of business resiliency. But if there is a performant application that I need on the front end and I use an open source technology, I need to find somebody who can back it up in terms of a L2 and L3 support. L1 would mean I call up there's an incident or an issue. L2 and L3 would mean that there is a set of people who can provide the support to put the issue to bed. So I'd be reluctant in a lot of cases to put in open source software where there is questions of business resilience, especially in front end applications. What about open platforms? Open platforms would be different in the sense that it's moving from host space to distributed computing platforms. So, so that would mean that OS, for example, operating system, what would you use? Uh, like, let's say you go to China. Still, a lot of the OS is Linux and Windows and Harmony is there, which is Huawei's OS, but still not as popular as it could be. So certain things you will have to really depend on, like, let's say Linux versus Windows, right? I mean, I would use both, but again, horses for courses. Actually, I have both in my environment. Linux and uh, Windows. Similarly, you will have uh, Android versus iOS. Android people would consider more uh, SDK, the software development kit. So we provide the apps on both platforms, Android as well as iOS. It's again the consumer which drives it. Why is it important? Because a lot of my consumers don't have iPhone, right? So if I tell them that now I provide this application on Android, they'll say, go take a hike because <laughs> I'm not going to be using you. So those open platforms have become more clear and persistent, more in terms of where you draw the distinction. But still, um, in a lot of the enterprise software, 
software category, we use platforms which are well supported by the, the vendors who basically own those uh, source code. In some cases, we like to insource open source platforms and build smaller teams to be able to manage it so that the L2, L3 support we can provide. Speaking of which, skills issue. How do you resolve it? And with technology continuing to evolve, how do you find and retain people especially for things like your legacy applications. What's your strategy towards then uh, people in terms of the, the team that you have? Yeah. Uh, how do you refresh them? Do you prefer retraining people in-house or do you prefer taking people in? That's the secret sauce of how we manage this transformation and running of the business at the same time. First of all, we've got a balanced mix of insourcing and outsourcing as a strategy. So the insourcing is we have got a large uh, shared services team in China and it's now expanding to Malaysia and Philippines. So it's a multi-location shared services strategy that we have, wherein we bring in people from universities, other companies in that jurisdiction, sometimes cross-country. So we are always looking to reskill and bring in new skills into the organization continuously uh, through that. And also we've got like a good outsourcing strategy. I mean, we work with some large players, Microsoft, British Telecom, Kendrill, which was the ex-IBM. So we work with a lot of consulting companies. So in cases wherein we don't have the skills immediately and we are looking for skills to accelerate our transformation, we go outsourcing and find, because we have got a large shared services pool, let's say I do Azure Databricks on <coughs> the data side. My guys may not know that because they're Oracle guys. While we do the first project using a consulting company, we try to learn from them and start to build our own so that our dependence is not like extreme in any case on anyone. How important is data-driven? And from your perspective, will it define how a business can guarantee its future? I mean, insurance industry is becoming more and more data-driven. And one of our founding principles of uh, technology, digital and analytics, TDA, is actually we want to use data to drive all business decisions, not any, all business decisions. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that means various things to various people. I, mean, I give you an example. Maybe examples are always easy as stories to correlate. Underwriting is a very special area in the insurance value chain, right? I mean, that's what insurance companies uh, do for a living. What you'll see typically is over the last 100 years that we have been operating, more than 100 years. You take back the data for the last 10, 15, 20 years, right? Of every 100 applications which come in, data will show you that 70 odd go through straight. No need to do anything. You just get the information and get it done. 25 to 27% <clears throat> go for follow-up. So somebody says, can you give me that? Can you give me this? Uh, and after follow-up, they get approved. And then eventually, 1 or 2% of them get rejected or rated up, right? So what you're trying to see is this. So everything has a cost. So if you basically build the analytics model in the right way, you straight away get to 97 instead of 70, right? What you are trying to do all the time is to use historical data, parse them, put it into models, make the model teach you what is going on, continuously teach you what is going on. Same on claims side. Sometimes you have like low value claims. Does it really need to be adjudicated? We have claims, uh, outpatient claims. I mean, a doctor has done stuff. Yes, it's possible that once in a while you could have a rogue nexus. But nine out of 10 cases, I mean, there's no need to check actually or if you check get the machine to check it and only look at the exceptions that the machine says oh something doesn't seem right because the machine has the ability to parse that infinite amount of data that's residing right as AIA as insurance industries bellwether what we are now evolving into is to use more and more data for every business decision that we make 
let's say this i talked about underwriting and claims how about projects you ask how much money to spend on test and learn so look at the roi for every project oh, what is going on here if this doesn't pull back it's going good i mean this particular thing on claims is giving me savings of 10 dollars although i was expecting 8 oh okay so can i pump in more money into the model building so that i make that 10 could become 25 we are bringing in data technologies big data predominantly uh, to really turbocharge decision making across the board and that's the future of insurance to be quite honest it's all data 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 i mean everything else is basically visualization digital or or, or whatever you want metaverse etc it's all visualization biswa thank you for joining me on podcast for future cio thank you for having me and it's a real pleasure That was Bisra Prakash Misra, Group Chief Technology Officer at AIA, on the topic of what it takes to be a strategist and operations leader. You are listening in the podcast for future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. Bye for now.